He is alive. Good morning, well of life. What a great privilege to be with you on this Resurrection Sunday as we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Just the other day, my family and I were watching um, a movie, Star Wars number nine. Can't believe there have been that many. And uh, perhaps understandably, we had, couldn't figure out the, the sequence and all the characters. And so I went online to find out what was going on before we watched it. And I was very careful, though, to make sure I found a page that said no spoilers, because I didn't want to um, know ahead of time what was going on in the story that we were watching. As I was preaching on Friday about the crucifixion of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, about him on the cross and in the tomb, I almost wanted to tell you that there was a spoiler alert because Jesus is alive. He's no longer on the cross. He's no longer in the tomb, but he's resurrected. That's the promise that we have of Sunday. Imagine the disciples had known that and understood that. Jesus had told them many times, but they simply had no frame of reference to completely understand it. They had seen men raised from the dead. Lazarus was raised from the dead. The widow's son was raised from the dead, but they'd never seen anybody raised from the dead and never die again. In Romans chapter six and verse nine, it says, we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. It was a completely different paradigm for them. And I suppose we can understand that they didn't get it, but imagine they had. They obviously still would have suffered the anguish of seeing Christ die upon the cross and the pain of knowing that he was bearing their sin. But can you imagine what it would have been like from Friday, three o'clock onwards, a sense of relief that that was over and now a sense of excitement as they waited for the resurrection to take place. Imagine being in their homes, the animated excitement, the knowing smiles that they passed from one to the other. Maybe they even began to dream about what their life and ministry would be like as they began to follow the resurrected King. In some ways, that is part of what this Easter in the time of the coronavirus is about for us, what it's teaching us. Like I said on Friday, not everything is what it seems to be. And though we're in a, t a tomb or a hiding moment right now, this pandemic and death and perhaps even economic, economic chaos that we see around us is the Friday, but a Sunday's are coming. For those of you that watched the very graphic representation of Christ's death in the Passion of the Christ, you would have seen the terrible suffering that he went through in his body, emotionally and mentally. The agony of Gethsemane as he anticipated what was to come. The sleepless night of prayer as he prepared himself for what he would face. The trials, the beatings and then the scourgings, a form of punishment that was so severe that many men died of that even before they got to the cross. And then the crucifixion, this terrible and torturous and fatal death. And then Christ was buried, literally. He was wrapped in, they say, 35 kilograms of linen and spices and placed in a tomb and without food or water for three days was locked away. I say all of this just to emphasize the fact that Christ literally died. And what would have happened if Friday was the end of the story, if there wasn't a Sunday that followed as we're celebrating today? The Bible says that we Christians would be the most pitiable of all people on earth. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 17 to 19, Paul writes and says, If Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty in your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. It's a bit harsh. Why would Paul say that? Well, there are a number of reasons. If, um, Like the fact that if Christ is not resurrected, then what's the point of living in holy service to God? 
as Paul says a little bit later on in the chapter, we may as well then live according to the proverb that says, eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Secondly, what about the fact that our Lord and our Savior, our King and our friend Jesus is dead, never to be seen or uh, again. That would have been particularly difficult for the disciples. But the main reason why we'd most pitied, Paul says in that passage that I read, is then is that because your faith then is useless and you are still guilty in your sin. You see, if Jesus is still dead, then death remains our enemy, our final enemy. If Christ couldn't conquer death, then death will conquer us and separate us from God for all eternity, the source of life. And that's because it would show if Christ was not raised from the dead, that his sacrifice was not sufficient to pay for our sins and overcome that death. In Romans 4 and verse 5 from the Amplified Bible, it says this, Jesus was betrayed and put to death because of our misdeeds, and then listen to this, and was raised to secure our justification or our acquittal. One commentator says this, when God the Father raised Christ from the dead, it was a demonstration that he accepted Christ's suffering and death as full payment for sin, and that the Father's favor, no longer his wrath against sin, was directed towards Christ and through Christ towards those who believe. In other words, in the resurrection, God vindicated Jesus by declaring that his sacrifice was sufficient to pay the price for your sin and for my sin. He'd overcome sin and therefore death because the power of death is in sin. Without Paul, without uh, hope rather, Paul understood how pitiful life would be. Without the, pro the promise of life beyond this life, meaningless bleeds back into every part of our existence, every minute and every moment, our marriages, our parenting, our work, our careers, our achievements. But Easter reminds us, and in this time of this crisis that we're going through and any challenge that we might face, we have to be like the disciples that get it, that remember. We have to remain in expectation and hope for what is still to come. It doesn't mean, of course, that life is plain sailing or easy. It wasn't that case, wasn't the case for the disciples. Even after the resurrected Christ had appeared to them and they had that revelation. Most of them died as martyrs um, and in very painful deaths as well. The difference was because of the resurrection, they understood that every sacrifice and every service was not only um, bearable, but was actually an act of wondrous worship. I'm not going to talk this morning about the resurrection, the evidence for the resurrection of Christ. In some ways, um, although there is evidence, there is this, always a step of faith that's required. To continue my movie theme that I've been on this morning. Some of you may have watched the movie series Raiders of the Lost Ark. And in one of those movies, there's a scene where the, the hero, Harrison, played by Harrison Ford, has to somehow get across this massive divide. And uh, he can't jump across it. He's got no tools to build a bridge across. His whip isn't long enough to get him across there. And there's a riddle that he faces that it needs a step of faith. And he comes to realize that he's got to step out into this cavern and just trust that he'll be okay. And uh, he steps out and it turns out it's an optical illusion and the ground is actually there and sufficient to be able to uphold him. And believing anything in scripture, even with the evidence that we have, requires that there is some faith, that we accept to exercise some faith. It's not a blind faith, it's not a dumb faith, but there is a faith element to it. Actually, the historical evidence for the resurrection is so compelling that a professor of Cambridge in the late 19th century by the name of Brooke Westcott wrote this. He says, indeed, taking all the evidence together, it is not 
too much to say that there is no historic incident better or more variously supported than the resurrection of Christ. Nothing but the predetermined assumption that it must be false could have suggested the idea of deficiency in the proof of it. In fact, the weight of evidence is so compelling that many who have set out in a journey to disprove the resurrection and therefore the deity of Christ have uh, ended up along their journey opening their eyes to the truth and coming to salvation. One man, uh, there was an example of this, was Dr. Frank Morrison. He was a lawyer who set aside three years to disprove the resurrection. And after three years of intense study, he found that the sheer weight of evidence compelled him to conclude that Christ actually did rise from the dead. And as a consequence, he wrote the famous book, Who Moved the Stone, which you can, you can actually read online. And I'll put the, the link for that up now. So what if the resurrection is true? Well, number one, he's alive. Our friend, our king, our savior, our lord, our hero, he's alive and with us. And, and uh, he will, as he's promised at the end of um, Matthew, be with us until the end. Number two, our eternal destination is life, not death. Because our sins have been forgiven and death has been overcome. That's why Paul can write, which I read on Friday, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Number three, the reason why, um, what difference it makes that the resurrection is true, is that it makes a holy, sacrificial life of service make sense. Remember early on I spoke to you about the proverb, eat and drink for tomorrow we die. That actually comes from Isaiah chapter 22 and verse 13. And it's part of a rebuke that God is giving to the people of Israel because he has brought judgment upon them because of their sin. And instead of turning to him in repentance, instead of um, coming to him and appealing to him to have mercy, what they say instead, and, and this is what verse 13 says, instead you dance and play, you slaughter cattle and kill sheep, you feast on meat and drink wine, you say, let's feast and drink for tomorrow we die. This is an attitude of mindless escapism and self-salvation. Four years ago today, an artist by the name of Prince, and he went by various names through his career, died from a drug, an accidental drug overdose. He had an album called 1999, which was so named because of the Y2K crisis, the, the year 2000 crisis that said that because of computer programming or whatever, the world was basically gonna come to an end in the year 2000. And uh, in the song, he, uh, his lines that speak about Judgment Day and the war is all around us. It was an attitude that reflected what was happening in, uh, because of the Cold War. It was, the song was written in the 80s and the Cold War was at its height. Many of the nations had nuclear weapons and there was this prevailing fear that a nuclear bomb would end life as we know it. And the song had the same philosophy as Israel in Isaiah 22, basically saying we could all die any day. But before that happens, I'm going to party and dance my life away. And we see this kind of hopeless attitude. And that's what it is, actually, in every generation that face trials of all sorts of kinds, economies that crash, governments and politics that fail them. We're told right now that we're facing a crisis because of global warming. And this pandemic is a sign, um, actually, not just of what's happening now, but of things to come for us. What should we do in the face of those threats? Should we give up and party ourselves to death? Should we give up and work so that we die with the most toys? Should we give up and sink into a black hole of despair? 
I think Paul answers this question in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 29 to 32, when he says this, If the dead will not be raised, why should we ourselves risk our lives hour by hour? For I swear, dear brothers and sisters, that I face death daily. This is as certain as my pride in what Christ Jesus our Lord has done in you. And what value was there in fighting wild beasts, those people in Ephesus, if there will be no resurrection from the dead? If there is no resurrection, let's feast and drink, for tomorrow we die. But the fact is that Christ was raised from the dead. He was resurrected, and we too will share in that resurrection power. In uh, verses 20 to 21, Paul says this, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. His resurrection is a guarantee of what is in store for those who believe in him. That's why Jesus could say to his disciples in John 14 that he's going ahead to prepare a place for them. A few days after Lazarus, a friend of Jesus, died, Jesus went to go see um, his sisters, Mary and Martha. And uh, as he was coming into the town, the village, Martha came running out to Jesus and somewhat accusingly said to Jesus that if you'd been here, Lazarus would still be alive. And in John 11, Jesus says to her in response to that, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And then he asked Martha the question which every single one of us have to answer. Do you believe this? If you are a follower of Christ, we need to be like the disciples who get it. Not like those ones that just couldn't understand. We don't want to arrive in heaven one day and go, Oh, this is what it was all about. This is what was in store for us. Why was I so worried when I was on earth? Why didn't I see that God was in control and his redemptive purposes were being worked out? Too many Christians live like the resurrection is not real. They face trials and tombs like it's the last word. Like Friday isn't always followed by Sunday. It may be Friday in many ways in your life, friends, but Sundays are coming. And if you are not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, then today, why don't you come to the slain and risen King, the one who died for you, the only one who died for you, who took your place upon the cross and bore your sins so that you might have the forgiveness of your sins. You might have um, resurrection and life. What hope? And what assurance salvation brings to us. As the often unsung verses of amazing grace proclaim. The Lord has promised good to me. His word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be. As long as life endures. Yea, when this flesh and heart shall fail. And mortal life shall cease. I shall possess within the veil. A life of joy and peace. Friends, what a great privilege. To have been able to share with you on this Resurrection Sunday, the wonderful good news of the fact that our God is alive, that our King is seated right now at the right hand of the Father. In a moment, we're going to go into time of worship. We recorded this a few days ago um, before the, the, the proper lockdown began. And so it's, a, it's good that we've done this and it's wonderful for us to be able to exalt and worship His name right now. And so won't you and your family join together with us as we join with Johnny and the rest of the worship team exalting and worshiping our risen King. As I said earlier, if you are not um, already a follower of Christ, we would love to help you um, on that journey. And if you want to uh, get a hold of us, you can find the links 
on this page and uh, we would appreciate if you would um, make contact with us so that we could serve you in some way in your spiritual journey. God bless you, world of life. Have an amazing day.